This is episode 11 of The Investor's Podcast. Broadcasting from Bel Air, Maryland, this is The Investor's Podcast. They'll read the books and summarize the lessons. They'll test the waters and tell you when it's cold. They'll give you actionable investing strategies. Your host, Preston Pish and Stig Broderson. All right. How's everybody doing out there? This is Preston Fish. And as usual, I am accompanied by my co-host, Stig Broderson. And today we're uh, doing another book. Um, this book is by Brad Stone, and it's called The Everything Store. Since Hari Ramachandra spends a lot of time out in Silicon Valley because he lives there, uh, and he also read this book, we brought him back on the show, and he is from bitsbusiness.com. And so we're going to be going through this book and we're going to be picking it apart. We could probably spend about five episodes on this book, but we're going to uh, just narrow it down to this one and try to pick out the highlights and the high points for you. So let's start off. Uh, the book is really primarily about Jeff Bezos, who's the CEO and founder of Amazon. Uh, Jeff Bezos's net worth is $30.3 billion here in November, uh, the middle of November 2014. The thing that I really took away from the book initially was just the intelligence level of Jeff Bezos. This is an extremely intelligent individual. And this is a person like most uh, billionaires that thinks about things in a different perspective and typically sees things from the inverse that the rest of the world sees things. So uh, the, the primary point and the highlight that I really want to bring out of the book initially, the biggest thing that I took away was this focus that Jeff Bezos has on the customer. Uh, and not necessarily the shareholders or the employees or anything else. He is totally focused on the customers of Amazon. So whenever I uh, typically talk to people that are in a leadership position or a CEO of a business, uh, the, the biggest challenge that these CEOs, these managers have is it's a big balancing act. Um, and it's really a balancing act on three different levels. They have a balancing act where they've got to please their customers. They've got to please their employees and they've got to please their owners or their shareholders. And if you think about that three prong approach to leadership within a, an organization, you can almost think of it like a tripod. And if, if that one of those legs in that tripod is not strong or it's weak, the whole thing is going to be out of balance and out of whack. And it's probably going to lead to unstable results within the business. And so when you read this book and you study Jeff Bezos, like Brad Stone had done, who's the author of this book, um, it was really interesting to me because this is a tripod and whenever you see a good solid business, it's always really well balanced among those three prongs, the customers, the employees, and the owners. The way Jeff Bezos looked at things is he just totally flipped this around and said, you know what? I don't really care what the owners think. I'm not going to really be too concerned about the profit margins. I'm not really too concerned about working my employees too hard and, and giving them you know, big bonuses like some of these companies like Goldman Sachs and whatever. He says, no, all I'm going to do is I'm going to put laser focus on my customer. If my customer's happy, everything else is going to work out. And so that's the thing that I just saw throughout this entire book is how laser focused Jeff Bezos is on his customer. So the thing that, you know, for Stig and myself, we have this website that talks about accounting. So for me, I initially go into the income statement, the balance sheet, cash flow statement for Amazon and start picking this thing apart. And so for me, I'm really interested in how a business can continue to grow its revenues at the rate that Amazon has done, but yet they don't have a bottom line that's really kind of feeding things that they can tap into in order to continue to grow their asset uh, base. And so whenever we look at Amazon's income statement, let's just pull this up and, and look at this. So last year, one year ago, 
Amazon's revenues were $17 billion for that quarter. That's just one quarter. Um, this past quarter here in 2014, they've continued to grow those revenues to $20.5 billion in revenues. Okay. Now that's really sounds like a, a lot of money and it is a lot of money. But the, the interesting part with Amazon is what's their profit on that $20.5 billion in revenues? And so whenever we look at the bottom line of their income statement, we see that they had a loss. They actually lost money uh, to the tune of $437 million last quarter. So they're bringing in $20.5 billion and then they're losing uh, $437 million. And if you look at their income statement for the last decade, you're going to see a very similar theme where they're just basically breaking even every single quarter. If they make a profit, it's only a couple hundred million dollars on billions that they're bringing in. So it's just a, a very interesting approach that you haven't really seen any other company operate in this model in this this direction where it's just all focused on the customer. Oh, definitely. And uh, the one takeaway from the income statement, uh, as you say, is definitely that they're not making any money. They're just really having a lot of revenue. But if we turn our attention to the balance sheet, I think that is even more interesting because I think you also briefly mentioned this, they don't have any retained earnings. And, you know, that's, that's uh, very logic because they're not making any money. So when you look at it, you can actually see that they have a lot of additional paid-in capital, which is probably quite unique given how big they are. And, uh, and well, even though it's a new company, they still have existed for 20 years. Also, if you look at how the assets are uh, composed, you can also see that they don't have that many fixed assets. They have a lot of current assets. That's also uh, one of the reasons why they have been able to expand so fast, because uh, that's financed by their current liabilities. So they have a lot of accounts payable, for instance. So it's a very interesting uh, business model. Um, perhaps it's a bit too progressive to what I'd like to see, but it's, I think it's a really interesting uh, study. So I started thinking about this as well, Stig. You brought up a great point about the balance sheet. So when you think about it, why does a company retain earnings? Okay, why do they do that? And really the answer is, is because they want to have that, that war chest of cash that they can employ whenever a new opportunity or a new market opens up that they think that they can employ that capital advantageously and grow. So Bezos has basically shifted this on, his, on its head and said, well, if I control enough flow of capital, if I control enough money through my organization... I can basically flex my profit margin in in that amount in a short amount of time to quickly grow the capital that I need in order to employ it into whatever my next asset that I want to buy is instead of just socking it away and sticking it over here in the corner and just letting it sit there and not really having a large return his opinion is that ah, just let's let's just continue to grow the revenues let's grow the revenues let's grow the revenues and then whenever I have an opportunity that I actually want to pounce on I'll shift my my prices. And if you notice on Amazon, the prices on Amazon are constantly fluctuating all the time. Every day, it's a new price. And I think that they have that variability in their price because he can quickly bring in a 10 or 20% uh, increase in the, in the cost of something, call it for 15 days. He can generate millions of dollars in, in, in profit from that quickly and then employ that for whatever he's trying to buy next. And it's just a this model is crazy. I've never seen anything like this. So, Hari, I, I saw you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, uh, you brought up a very good point. Uh, in fact, Jeff uh, talks about it, and even in the book, uh, Bradstone has um, uh, 
touched upon this uh, frugality and low margin mentality in Amazon. And Jeff has famously said that your high margins are my opportunity for any business around. Jeff, before he started Amazon or while he was founding Amazon, he read about Sam Walton, his uh, biography, and he was very much influenced by how Sam was obsessed about cost and innovation. And Jeff has embodied that in his operations. Uh, in fact, in an interview, Jeff talks about what it takes to be in a low margin and high volume business. And in that interview, he says that companies with high margin have a luxury, but a lot of sins are hidden because of that. Yeah. And it's, it's very short term because, and this is something that he talked about later in the book is he said that I view high margins of a business as something that attracts a lot of competitors. I don't want to attract a lot of competitors. So I keep my margins low. It's just like, you know, this is a lot like Peter Thiel. Everything that he thinks, he just takes the exact opposite. Like, well, you know, everyone out in business thinks margin, high margins are good. He's of the opinion that they're bad. And then he somehow figures out a way to justify it. And then he, it, it's true in the way that he's employing this and growing. I just find it fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Go ahead. Uh, Stig, you had something you want to say? Yeah. Uh, and I think he, uh, he brings an example with, uh, with Apple. This is saying that Apple has high margins, but that's attracting a lot of competitors in terms of, for instance, the smartphones. Yeah. While yeah. low margins, that attracts customers. And that is the viable strategy. Yeah. Um, Hari, I saw you had one thing before, <laughs> before I took your word there. Uh, no worries. Uh, in fact, uh, he ties this low margin back to his customer centricity. Uh, he says that uh, if I'm operating at low margin, it is good for my customers because I'm delivering value to them in the end. So it's funny. All this discussion kind of has me uh, thinking of this particular piece in the book. It was early on. I want to say like maybe chapter two. And the employees were recalling this uh, quote that Bezos had said during one of their meetings. And he said, we don't make money when we sell things. We make money when we help customers decide on the right purchase. And it's just, I mean, it's just another thing. And you're like, that, you know, most people, if they ever heard that, would think that guy's out of his mind. But then you look at what he's creating and it's just, it's mind blowing. Uh, Hari, go ahead. You hit something. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities, coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit light driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? 
Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously, and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. The Holy Grail of Investing, the new book by Tony Robbins and co-written by investing legend Christopher Zook, reveals the secrets of alternative investments like private equity, venture capital, energy, real estate, sports franchises, and more. It features exclusive insights from investing titans who collectively manage more than $500 billion, including Robert F. Smith, Vinod Kosla, Michael B. Kim, and many others. In the holy grail of investing, you'll discover how to take advantage of the trillions flowing into private equity by becoming an owner of firms that actually manage the assets and share in the revenue they generate, how to take advantage of the two to three times higher returns of private credit as an alternative or complement to bonds, how to invest in the energy evolution and ride the wave of trillions in global investments, how investments in private real estate can work as an inflationary hedge and source of tax-efficient income, and how many of the world's greatest investors thrive in both good times and bad. The Holy Grail of Investing by Tony Robbins is available now wherever books are sold. All right, back to the show. Kristen, you brought up a good point. In fact, while talking about Kindle, Bezos says uh, that we sell Kindle at near break-even because we don't want to make money when we sell the product, but we want to make the money when the customer actually uses it. And that goes back to what Stig was talking about, how Apple has a huge margin there on their products, whereas Amazon just took the completely opposite approach. So let's go ahead and uh, move. So that was the first point that we all kind of extract out of the book, which was this idea that he is just absolutely focused on the customer and just, you know, his employees and, and from the shareholder or owner standpoint, it's just like they don't even exist. Uh, so that's really the first point we pulled away. So Stig has a, a second main theme that he found in the book that he wants to bring up. I real, really like the, uh, the thoughts about whether Amazon was a retailer or Amazon was a tech company. And there was something that was going on and on and on about the book. And to be honest, I think that's something that they are, if not struggling with right now, it's definitely something that is challenging them right now. Because they definitely started out uh, as a retailer and the way they were doing things was definitely as a retailer. So for instance, they were starting out with books because they said that books was a commodity. So that was something that all customers understood. And it was also, uh, by the way, a low margin product. Uh, and they're thinking like retailer in terms of they want to have everything. It's really the everything store. And they have these funny stories about how they were building inventories by uh, buying toys from the, uh, from the competitors. So it's really a, like entering their shelves. So it's a really like a retailer way of thinking. But at the same time, they're thinking like a tech company. And they now implemented uh, big data and they want to, um, when they started, developing Kindle. They didn't have any resources, internal resources, but simply, you know, build up a division that could build these Kindles. Um, they are competing with Google about high-skilled programmers. So I think that what Jeff Bezos is actually doing is he's saying, you cannot put me in a box 
as a retailer, or you can't tell me that I have a tech company. I can actually take the best from both worlds. Uh, at least that's that's my interpretation. I don't know how you see that discussion uh, going on. Yeah, I'm really interested to hear Hari's opinion out there in Silicon Valley. What's you know everyone out there say? Uh, that's a good point, uh, Stig. Uh, in fact, uh, in the last chapter of the book, the author talks about how Amazon is moving from an everything store to an everything company. And um, if you look at uh, the history of Amazon and how Jeff got the idea of Amazon, it was actually in his uh, hedge fund, uh, D.E. Shah, where he was working for this charismatic leader. And the hedge fund was set up as a technology shop focusing on finances. Um, and in fact, I think Bezos took that idea. Uh, and one of the ideas was actually everything store that was being discussed in, in the DE shop company. And that's how Amazon was born. Bezos is a computer graduate by education. So uh, he is well aware of technology. He has expanded into a lot of areas that you know traditionally belong to, say, Googles and Apples of the world. But he had a lot of struggle uh, in doing that. In, in, in Silicon Valley, he has set up two um, subsidiaries of Amazon, Lab 126 and A9. It has been a struggle, but it's catching up now. However, uh, within the Valley, um, from my personal experience, Amazon is not among the top employers in terms of, you know, engineers preference. If you look at some of their products, uh, maybe the recent uh, phone that they released, it's really hard to compare them with somebody like Apple or Google I and mean, yeah. the programmers. Um, in the Valley still, I think Google and Apple are treated as the A-team. Yeah. When it comes to um, like, you know, mobile devices or application development. Um, Amazon is getting there, but I don't think they're still in the same league. Yeah, I don't think that their phone has been selling. The new phone that they just came out with has been selling as well as they would like. I don't know if it's really a, a branding issue. Just I, I really think there's so much stickiness with the uh, iTunes uh, for the phones and the applications and same with the Droid that I think it's very hard for them to uh, step into that market. I mean, they are really going to have to practically give away, I think, a lot of applications for people in order for them to start switching over. But Let's move to your point, Hari. Uh, the, the third point that we're going to bring up, the third theme in the book, uh, Hari's going to go ahead and discuss. Sure. So uh, before I talk about my, the third theme, I just want to add that even though they are not really good at the mobile devices, the, uh, the phone or the tablets that, that they have recently released, uh, we have to give them credit for finally solving the computing problem with Amazon Web Services. In fact, um, Eric Smith, the chairman of Google, gave them credit that what the computer guys couldn't solve, this retailer finally solved it for the customers. <laughs> I like how you guys referred to them as, as the retailer. <laughs> <laughs> All <Yeah>. right. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so going back to my, my theme, the final theme that we're going to discuss today, the key takeaway for me from this book and from Jeff is time horizons matter. In fact, this is in the book as well as in an interview that Jeff gave recently. He said, if we, when he says we, it is humans. So if he says, if we think long-term, we can accomplish things we wouldn't otherwise accomplish. 
He gives an example. He says, if you are asked to solve world hunger in five years, you would rightly decline the challenge because you think it's impossible. But he says, if I ask you to solve world hunger in the next hundred years, now that is a different question altogether. And it's more interesting. So he says that by changing the time horizon and by being persistent, a business or an individual can accomplish things that he would otherwise think are impossible. In fact, one of his friends, Danny Hills, in an interview said that it's not just what just Jeff thinks, but this was what Jeff had in his mind when he started Amazon. For Jeff, Amazon was a multi-decade project. And he, he believed that he can accomplish his vision if he thought long term. And as you said, uh, Piston, previously, that um, like how Peter Thiel mentions in his uh, book Zero to One uh, about monopolizing a small market segment, even though your vision might be big, Jeff really embodied that when he started Amazon. He started small, focused on books, really monopolized that industry um, while others were not paying attention. And then he started expanding out. He, I mean, he was so focused. This was another point, and it was later in the book that I just was, <laughs> my eyes were just like, oh my God, this guy's brilliant. He was, uh, he set up a team, which was a competitive advantage team. And what they would do is, let's say that they were, uh, one specific niche on his site was selling something, and there was some competitor that was coming along and doing things better. This competitive advantage team, their job was to find somebody out there that was doing something or selling something better than they were figure out how and why they were doing it, determine whether they could implement that process that this competitor was doing within their own ranks. And if they couldn't, what could they do in order to purchase and buy them out? And what was their strategy in order to do that? And I just was just like, this guy's amazing. Like it was unbelievable. Some of the things that he was, that he was putting in place and managing within the company at such a large scale, especially later on, it was just fascinating. Christian, you brought up a very good point. In fact, uh, Jeff has an interesting take on competitive advantage uh, for Amazon. And he says, we would like to weave a rope of many small advantages uh, to build our moat or our competitive advantages, uh, advantage. So that's, that I thought was an interesting take on competitive advantage. And, you know, this is something that I really took away from it, is his biggest competitive advantage is trust. Like he doesn't put more value in anything other than trust. Uh, it was it was really near the end of the book. He was talking about how uh, his email marketing team were sending out something, and uh, it could potentially compromise uh, a person if they were looking at something that was like a little off topic on their website, and then they would send out messages later on. And that just really disturbed Bezos. He was really upset that that these messages that were going out could potentially um, break that trust that they had with their customers. And that he didn't really place anything bigger and more important within the company than that trust. And I think that that's his true competitive advantage over anything else is that he has this trust with the customers and that people just keep coming back and coming back because they have that trust of the company. And, and just something to add here. Um, when Amazon started with the reviews, and I think that's really something that Amazon is famous for here. I know at least for my part, I'd like to read reviews before I buy a product on Amazon. 
Uh, the first reviews that was written on Amazon was actually done by the employees of the company. And some of the reviews, which was books back then, were actually negative. And um, there was a publisher who called up Bezos and told him, what are you doing? Um, you're supposed to sell books. Why are you writing bad reviews? And he's saying, I'm not in the business of selling books. I'm in the business of helping customers to make the right decisions. <laughs> and I thought, just thought that was so strong. And that's really related to this thing about trust that Preston is talking about. Yep. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com WSB. That's fundrise.com WSB. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Ally, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA slash SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify dot com slash WSB. 
That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. Oh, that's a great point, Stig. I really like that. Uh, so I'll tell you, you guys are probably listening to us talk about this and we're kind of jumping all over the place. And it's probably more because this book was so filled with just amazing business information. I mean, it's the Financial Times and Goldman Sachs Business Book of the Year. So if you haven't read this thing and you're interested in business, I, I'll tell you, you got to get out and read this book. It's unbelievable. Um, I want to really quickly go over uh, one piece here and then we're going to have to try to wrap things up. Uh, the one thing that I wanted to cover was Amazon's six core principles. Uh, we can't really go into depth kind of describing all of these. And to be honest with you, uh, if you want to really kind of get the the full gist and something that's a little bit more organized in the way that we're talking through this, you're going to want to go and download all of our uh, sh- executive summary that Stig and I are putting together. It's about five pages long in a PDF format. So you can go to our website and download that. Um, and it's going to be much more organized than uh, really the show notes. But uh, real fast, let's go through these uh, Amazon six core principles. The first one is customer obsession. So that's the one we've kind of already hit on, and that's his very first core principle. The next uh, core principle was frugality. And he talks about how really, I guess the best word is how cheap he was by employing the company's money. If he was going to take a jet ride out to Hawaii for one of his employees or something like that, it was always done on his own dime. He never used company funds uh, in order to do something like that. He was very frugal with the company money and how he employed it. Uh, the third one was his bias for action. So this one really kind of uh, covers just having really big and, and great ideas, but putting a small amount of capital on a small team to try to exercise and start to uh, discover whether there's some traction in that particular area of interest. So he had a bias for action in, in these different ideas and these different segments that he had come up with. Uh, the fourth point that he had was ownership. Uh, this kind of goes back to the last book that Stig and I read with a uh, science of success with uh, Charles Koch, and that he wants people within his company to think from that ownership standpoint. Uh, so you see a lot of very similar themes amongst all these billionaires and these top CEOs, and that's one of them. Uh, the next one, uh, which is number five, which also is another one that Charles Koch and Warren Buffett and a bunch of others have, is that they have a very high bar for the talent within their organization. They are looking for the top people and how, what they've got to do in order to get them, and more importantly, what they've got to do to retain them. Uh, and then the very last one is innovation. Jeff Bezos is a very innovative person. He might just have started off as a retailer, but he has some very grandiose uh, ideas, and some of them relate to doing space exploration, to um, being a technical company that's giving uh, IBM a, a run for their money, amongst many other things. So those were his six core principles. I wanted to talk about those. Uh, and the final thing that we want to discuss on the show, I want to throw it over to Hari because he wants to talk about this relationship between Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs. Thanks, Christian. Uh, while I was reading the book, a uh, couple of things struck me. And one of them was the parallel between how Jobs operated and thought and how Jeff has been operating Amazon and how he thinks. Now, I want to highlight uh, some of the key points that I found were interesting or very similar. Uh, the number one, which is common among many entrepreneurs, not just between Jeff and Job, is uh, the drive, intensity, and the vision. Both of them had intense drive, and also they stuck to their vision through thick and thin. And then employees or people gathered around and started following them. 
both of them have embraced disruption in fact cannibalized their own products jobs doing it with uh, ipod when he re- launched iphone pretty much he cannibalized ipod at that point of time and uh, jeff did it with his uh, kindle business where he knew it will eventually cannibalize his book retailing business and he was aware of it and he did it deliberately and in fact he says that it's always better you cannibalize your own business rather than letting somebody else do it for you and the next one is a relentless focus on customer in fact an obsession and jeff in fact was uh, famous for having an empty chair in a conference room representing the customer so both of them were obsessed with customers then as you mentioned earlier gaining their trust and the last one uh, though it's not really important but is a coincidence in their personal life is that both of them were separated from their biological fathers um, at the, at a very early age and adopted by uh, somebody else in case of uh, Steve Jobs and uh, in case of Jeff Bezos his mom married uh, another person but both of them had a very good childhood nonetheless very interesting points hari it's interesting to see both of these gentlemen have a much different approach than like Warren Buffett who we usually spend a lot of time on and yet here they are enormously successful in business but yet they've taken on a, a different approach and a different model so okay guys well let's uh, go ahead and uh, move to our question that was submitted to uh, the show this week and this question here we're going to go ahead and uh, read because it was uh, typed up and sent to us and this question comes from Antonet Cret and what she says is that what is the best way to find companies to evaluate based on Buffett's criteria do you use an online stock screener companies you know newspapers what do you guys use so uh, Stig's going to go ahead and answer this question I'd say I probably have three different uh, approaches to finding uh, finding right stocks I definitely think that stock, stock screeners are a good idea uh, you probably looked at it yourself and you can put in inputs like what should the ROE be of the company and what should the price earnings be and these things so I definitely think that that's a viral strategy other than that I am looking at uh, the filings that uh, investors that I really respect um, but they're buying uh, so, for instance, Warren Buffett, he has to file four times a year and, and telling uh, your public what he's buying. Um, so I would use that as a sheet to to, to go uh, buy one by one and say, is, is that something with me? Is that within my circle of competence to invest in that company? And then the third thing, um, yeah, I just talk to a lot of people. And if there are some people that I trust, uh, then I will look um, closer into it. I don't think that necessarily you have to be a billionaire to make good stock picks. But if uh, a trusted source is telling me then that he or she are, are going into a stock, uh, very often I will take a, a closer look at it. Um, with that said, I really want to stress that because Warren Buffett is buying something, or you hear that your best friend is buying something, you really shouldn't um, you shouldn't act too much. I think I bought two stocks this year, and I kind of feel like I've been over trading. So you probably also feel that I'm pretty conservative. Um, but I don't think I get all the all the good ideas myself. I think that you I, you you mainly get that from from other people. Stig, that's a great point because I think a lot of people don't realize uh, how few times we're actually buying a different company. Uh, for this past year, I'd say I'm pretty close to where you're at, where I've only really been buying about four to three maybe different companies throughout the throughout the year. 
Now I'm buying them. Uh, you know, I I typically only do one purchase per month, uh, so all of my cash flow is is put into that one particular pick. But I'm buying the same type of pick over and over again, and I'm not really making a lot of. Uh, you know, I'm not picking twenty to twenty five different companies here. It's it's usually pretty focused on uh, companies that I feel are a good price at a particular point in time, and if the market kind of moves in a different direction and some something else becomes undervalued, then I might start moving into that and, and focusing my cash flow into that monthly. So, okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Hari. Piston, uh, you brought up a very good point. Um, uh, 13F is a great way to follow uh, a lot of great investors, but um, the danger or the risk is that you might follow too many of them and you might start buying a lot of stocks that you can comprehend and you can understand. And you both uh, brought up a really good point that we should limit ourselves to few that we can understand and focus on that. Yeah, I mean, if you're really reading the 10Q and the 10K on these companies, if you if you own more than 10 or 15 picks, I mean, you, that's all you'd be doing would be reading these things. So I personally have to keep it to a manageable level. And I mean, when you look at a company like, uh, let's just say Berkshire Hathaway, I mean... He owns, what is it, 67 or 70 different operational companies that are on all these different fields. So if you're buying that particular pick, you're literally spreading your money across the breadth of all these different companies, not just an individual uh, pick. Same thing with Amazon. I mean, that's obviously something that I'm not buying because of the the profit margin versus uh, everything else but and the, the capitalization rate on it. But um, that's a company that's spread across all these different areas. It's not just focused in one particular thing. And so when you're buying an individual pick or you're buying an index or something like that, you can focus on that one thing if it's a large cap company that has things spread across a breadth of different areas. So uh, just something to think about for, for people as they go forward. So that concludes our show this week. We would really like to uh, thank Hari Ramachandra for coming on the show. If you'd like to read more about Hari's blog, you can go to bitsbusiness.com. Uh, Hari, thanks for joining us. Uh, we really highly recommend this book. It's called The Everything Store by Brad Stone, and it's all about Jeff Bezos. If you'd like to uh, read our executive summary, if you don't have time to go through the whole book, Stig and I will have that posted on our uh, website. And if you sign up on our mailing list, you'll get all of our executive summaries for all the books that we read. So uh, thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Investor's Podcast. To listen to more shows or access to the tools discussed on the show, be sure to visit www.theinvestorspodcast.com. Submit your questions or request a guest appearance to The Investor's Podcast by going to www.asktheinvestors.com. If your question is answered during the show, you will receive a free autographed copy of the Warren Buffett Accounting Book. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This material is copyrighted by the TIP Network and must have written approval before commercial application.